Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A new gold rush is on the horizon in Alaska. A proposed mine, one of the biggest in the world, promises riches for investors and native workers alike. But several Alaska native villages and environmental groups say the cost to retrieve that gold is too high, harming the health and livelihoods of the people who live there. Today we're talking about the Donlin Gold Mine proposal in Southwest Alaska. We'll hear more about it and efforts to stop it right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A New Mexico man pleaded not guilty Friday in the 2021 disappearance of Ella Mae Begay, an elderly woman on the Navajo Nation. Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports. At his arraignment in Flagstaff, 23-year-old Preston Henry Tolth pleaded not guilty to assault and carjacking charges. Begay's friends and family attended the hearing, urging that Tolth remain in custody. Seraphine Morin is Begay's niece. He's where he's at. His hands are shackled. He's, he's helpless, just maybe just like my aunt was. We're going to fight with this and him to get the right answers. My aunt did not, I really did not deserve this at all. She spoke at the hearing along with Begay's son, Gerald Begay. Warren brought attention to her aunt and other cases of missing and murdered indigenous people last summer as she walked from the Navajo Nation to Washington, D.C. Begay is still missing and prosecutors hope to uncover the truth about her disappearance. They say Tolth assaulted the then 62-year-old woman in the community of Sweetwater, Arizona, near Four Corners, and then took her pickup truck, which he allegedly traded for methamphetamine and $200 in Albuquerque. A U.S magistrate ordered Tolth to remain in custody pending trial. He was already in custody on a separate charge and has an extensive criminal history. A federal trial is scheduled to begin next month in Phoenix, and if convicted, Tolth faces decades in prison. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. Researchers at John Hopkins Center for Indigenous Health are surveying water quality and access on tribal lands. KUNC's Emma Van Denindy joined them on a survey day to see how it works. Taishiana Sosi and Kimberly Balone head out on winding dirt roads, following a random list of homes. To find one driveway, Sosi and Balone have to count the roads they pass. So this would be seven, uh -huh. eight, right here. While other surveys did not count hogans and trailers, this one uses satellite imagery to map all homes in the fort-defined section of the reservation. But without good addresses or Wi-Fi on the Navajo Nation, it can be difficult to find. It is, that Hogan was there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> At each home, residents are asked if they want to be interviewed anonymously. The survey has questions about where they get their water, the water's quality, and potential solutions. They plan to survey more than 1,000 homes, and 100 will be selected for water testing like the blacklight bag testing that Sosi and Balone did. But the interviews can be a roller coaster of emotions. Balone recalled one with an old man who was struggling to haul water. And he was just like, um, I'm not going to have anybody to do this, so that might be the end of us if I can't haul water anymore. It's just like, oh my gosh. Plus, many barriers stand in the way for tribal communities. Heather Himmelberger is with the Southwest Environmental Finance Center. She studied tribal water systems in Rio Grande Pueblos, and found that old and faulty pipes and other infrastructure were their main concern. So you have these very expensive infrastructure projects with very few people who can pay for them. 
So you can imagine that that becomes problematic over time. Her 2022 study also found that many water systems were not aware that dozens of grants existed for their projects. Some did not even receive the full amount of requested funding. What part gets done, what part doesn't get done, and then how does that affect that community for a longer time frame? Despite this, Ballone believes the Johns Hopkins survey is what the community needs. Many of them are really, really grateful. They're like, thank you. Like, nobody has asked me these questions. Thank you for being the one to actually start something. The team plans to complete the Fort Defiance survey by November. I'm Emma Vandenindy. This story is supported by the Water Desk at the University of Colorado Boulder. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. Business owners and Alaska Native corporations are among those on the cusp of developing what could be one of the largest gold mines in the world. The numbers are staggering. Up to a million ounces of gold annually over the 30-year life of the project, with a value of up to $80 billion. Along the way, proponents say are decades of good-paying jobs for Alaska Native workers. But none of that will happen if a handful of local tribes and environmental groups get their way. They say the environmental costs are just too high, including significant damage to the nearby smelt fishery that is vital for both native subsistence and commercial fishing. Today, we'll hear arguments surrounding the Donlin Gold Mine Project. We want to include your voice as well. What are your thoughts on gold mining in Alaska? Join our discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us first today from Anchorage, Alaska, is Tom Leonard. He is the Chalista Alaska Native Corporation Vice President of Corporate Affairs. He's a member of the Chivak Native Village. Tom, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you. Also from the Chalista Alaska Native Corporation is Tisha Coons. She is the Corporation's Vice President of Land and Natural Resources. She is from Bethel and a tribal member of the Akachuk Native Community. Tisha, welcome to NAC as well. Good morning. Thank you. Tom, let's start with some history. How long ago did the idea for this gold mine surface? Oh, that's a really good question because uh, it certainly uh, predates me. Uh, I'm 51. I was just a couple of months old when the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act was signed by President Nixon way back in 1971. And what that did is it took away uh, our native Aboriginal rights, 
And uh, uh, rather than create a reservation system like the, the federal government did on the lower 48, is they divided up Alaska geographically and culturally. Uh, so at Trillister Corporation, uh, we represent Southwest Alaska, the Yukon and Kuskokwim region. It's a huge region about the size of Oregon, and there are no roads and no rail into the region. So the uh, ANSCA or the Claim Settlement Act uh, did a few things. One, it created corporations like Chilista. It gave some land uh, to the regional corporations and village corporations, but the tribes were left without land. So with the land that uh, we were given, uh, we were told to select lands that were important to us, including potential development. Uh, so Chilsa staff at that time, uh, our early tribal leaders, elders, uh, they went out, they talked to all the villages, they gathered a lot of scientific data, uh, they learned where you know, family members may have been buried, they learned where subsistence was done. Okay. And then each of the villages selected lands for specific uses. And the elders in Crooked Creek selected the area where Dolan is now specifically for potential development. All righty. All righty. Um, Tisha, I'd like to go to you now uh, because I know that you have a background in geology and Gold is one of those words, it just gets people excited. I mean, dates back to the old gold rush days. And the gold mining industry has always maintained a kind of wild, wildcatter, you know, anything goes reputation. And I remember back in the 1990s, there was another group of Canadian mining companies, uh, Briex. And uh, this company shocked the world when it announced that they had found what they considered one of the largest gold deposits in the history of the world at a site in Indonesia and their stock went through the roof. But then under closer examination review, it was revealed that the company had falsified its core samples. There was hardly any gold there. It was all a big fraud and, and Briex ultimately declared bankruptcy. It went down in like this spectacular display of corruption. How do we know the same thing won't happen here with the Donlin project? Well, I think Briex actually was the um, project that put more rules into place. So you have your 43101s, which are a certifiable legal document that shows a project has legit numbers. There's quality assurance, quality control measures that come into play. Everything is audited. Everything is reviewed by, you know, the, you know, the respective boards, the geologists, the metallurgists, everybody who works for that particular project so that there is no, um, you know, bias brought to those core samples. So, for instance, when I was a geologist working at Donlin Gold, we were advised and told we could not wear gold rings, we could not wear gold into those core shacks during the processes. And that went through the line, too, for all of, all of the sampling and preparing core samples, so that did not happen. We knew everybody in the gold mining industry knows those risks, so that was a very big first step in the quality assurance and, you know, quality control preparation of these samples. Okay. And Tom, now back to you. I mean, we're talking potentially up to $80 billion worth of gold that could be extracted over some 25 to 30 years. What does this mean for Chalista, its shareholders, and the entire state of Alaska? No, that's a really good question because it goes way beyond, you know, the, the you know, strictly pulling out the gold. Um, 
you know, growing up and being born in Bethel, spending a lot of summers in Chivac at fish and berry camps, you know, w- what I see with a lot of, uh, you know, friends, relatives, people in the region is that there just aren't enough employment opportunities that provide a, uh, a living wage. Um, you know, being able to go out and fish and hunt, that takes a lot of money for fuel. You've got a lot of equipment, and you need to be able to afford that. So, you know, whereas generations ago, we lived specifically on subsistence, you know, now in this modern age, it's, it's really a mixed economy of subsistence and cash. So having that hope for children to stay in school, to graduate, either get a, uh, a degree at a university like I did, or go to trade school, this provides hope. It provides the potential for employment opportunities and the potential to bring um, better infrastructure into the region. Okay. And I understand there has been a proposed revenue sharing structure. Tom, can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. Good. Good question. Um, So as part of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, uh, what happens with uh, uh, some of the revenues that are earned from uh, resources like uh, gold or zinc from the Red Dog Mine is 70% of those revenues are shared with all of the uh, uh, regional corporations and village corporations throughout Alaska. So using a real-world example, in the Nana region, there's the Red Dog Mine. That's on land owned by Nana. So 70% of those revenues are then shared with the regional corporations, and they take half of that and share that with the village corporations. And that's resulted in nearly $2 billion being shared throughout Alaska because sharing is, is part of our core values as a culture. Okay. Tisha, back to you. And, you know, we do have uh, folks on the show today who um, are opposed to this project, and we'll get to them here shortly. But uh, is it safe to say right now that the argument we're dealing with here is that uh, jobs and economic development versus environmental destruction, uh, that's really what's at stake here? Or do you see it differently than that? Oh, I see it very differently. But, you know, those concerns are extremely valid. And we have in the past 25 years of you know this long-standing relationship, we have taken those concerns very seriously, and you know those who work with alongside you know Donlin and the Cuscoquim Corporation, we work very closely to keep you know our relationship strong and you know the technical expertise, the environmental re- you know reports that come out, any aquatic monitoring, you know we are there together, and we've actually formed what we called the Donlin Advisory Technical Oversight Committee which, you know, is a whole group that has direct oversight of this, this project. And so the benefits are very, very vast. They um, include not only just jobs and on-the-job training, but then, you know, the revenue sharing, which Tom has um, already discussed before, that's extremely important, especially going beyond in, you know, beyond Chalista region. Um, but there's just so much more that can bring more infrastructure into the communities, you know, community-wide projects. We're already seeing that happening now. And, you know, realistically, in, if you look at the state of Alaska as a whole, we have, you know, five major mines in the state. And, you know, many of them are on state-owned land. But this one is extremely special because it's Alaska Native-owned. And we have chosen, the, you know, the mineral endowment there 
so that we could be that voice up front on how this project gets developed. So there's vast benefits there, and I think there's so much okay. opportunity that you know can bring us into you know the world economy. Okay, and just to clarify, Tisha, so the land that this proposed mine sits on is native owned, but the companies that will actually own the mine, they are not native. Is that correct? That is correct. They, it is an Alaska formed company. It's Dolan Gold LLC. The experts that do, um, it's a 50-50 partnership between Nova and Barrick Gold. So um, they have formed Dolan Gold LLC and those managers here are Alaska um, residents with vast mining experience. And so we've, you know, developed these really great real trust relationships and working through any of the concerns, especially throughout the EIS process, um, cut leading to the joint record of decision. Um, so, you know, it is, um, there is that differentiation there, but it is Alaska owned. All righty. Well, on the line now, we have Tom and Tisha, and they represent uh, Chalista, which is uh, very involved here in this proposed uh, gold mine, the Donlin Project there uh, in southwest Alaska. Gold uh, right now trading at about $2,003 an ounce, and uh, that's close to an all-time record set a few years ago back in 2020. So uh, this is certainly uh, a project with huge, huge economic benefits. But, of course, there are risks to consider as well. And when we get back from this break, we're going to talk to some of those folks who have issues with this proposed mine and what it could mean to their communities and to the environment. If you've got a question or if you've got a comment, something to say about this topic today, gold mining in Alaska, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. New research suggests Native Americans had access to horses long before Europeans arrived on the continent. The new theory aligns with many Native oral histories about horses and contradicts the prevailing narrative that Spanish settlers introduced them. We'll learn more about the evolving history of horses on the next Native America Calling. Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. We're hearing about the proposed Donlin Gold Mine Project in Alaska today. An environmental group is suing to stop the mine on behalf of several Alaska Native villages. Join our conversation by calling in 1-800-996-2848. If you have anything to say about this proposed gold mine or any insights regarding uh, the mining industry there in Alaska, our number again, 1-800-996-2848. Phone lines are open right now, so you can get a call right through, and we'll get you on the air. We're joined now by John Andrew. He is an elder and council member for the village of Quithluk. Welcome to Native America Calling, John. Also joining us today, John, are you there? Dear old uh, elder over here. I've been a lot, lifetime substance hunter and fisherman along our rivers. Uh, uh, 
I could, uh, if you have questions, I can uh, talk about histories uh, of our areas, uh, uh, successes, and uh, small okay. mining that that how they have to affect our region. Okay, that's great, John, and I, I will, I'll come back to you in just a moment. I would also like to introduce Boris Epchuk. Uh, he is the president of the Organized Village of Quitluck Indian Reorganization Act Council. Boris, welcome to Native America Calling as well. Good morning. Good morning, Boris. Uh, Boris, if you could start us off here, um, what is the chief concern right now among the residents of your village about this proposed gold mine? Well, uh, my well, the main concern that I've heard so far of, uh, is that uh, you know the uh, Donald Gold Mine is going to be one of the biggest gold mines in the world, basically, and uh, it's uh, it's affects uh, if there ever is an environmental uh, uh, issue that arises, uh, like uh, uh, earthquakes and. Uh, the permafrost dying and so forth, the impacts of uh, the spillage and all that other uh, material, contaminating material would have an effect on the ecosystem, as well as the river system that uh, we rely on for uh, subsistence and other needs uh, to sustain our silviculture. Okay. Now, um, the Association of Village Council Presidents, they represent 48 communities there in Bethel and surrounding areas. Uh, the village of Quitlick is one of those communities that's represented by the AVCP. Back in 2006, uh, the association voted to support the Donlin Gold Mine, and then last fall, delegates passed a resolution withdrawing that support. What changed? Well, I think uh, the current uh, environment as well as the climate change had, had an effect on the impact, but I'm not really sure as to what changed because I just got in about a couple years ago to uh, to this organization. But I do believe that uh, certain concerns were ad uh, addressed during an AVCP convention about the uh, uh, Donovan gold mine um, and its impacts in in. In case you know there's a disastrous disastrous situation where uh, the uh, tailings as well as the settling pond would have would have um, uh, seeped out into the main uh, Cuscoquim River system, where it would affect the uh, rainbow smelts and other uh, uh, species of salmon that go up the Cuscoquim River uh, to spawn. Not only that, uh, the area that we live in, the namesake of this community, is one of the prime spawning rivers in, in the Cuscoquim River, and that's what we're basically trying to protect uh, for, uh, for, for next generation. Okay. Now, earlier we heard Tisha, and she shared that uh, the mine uh, will be owned by, by two companies, Barrick Gold and Nova Gold Resources, co-owners of the Donlin Mine. And those companies have stated that they want to work and support local interests in this project. In your view, are they living up to that commitment? I think they have. Uh, they periodically, annually come in and uh, uh, update uh, the community members on the uh, uh, current uh, uh, Donald Mine issues. So that's basically what they do. And uh, besides that, uh, um, I know that they've supported uh, some communities uh, through uh, donations of various uh, uh, resources, equipment, and other material 
And that's uh, something that, you know, is expected from an organization that's uh, trying to win over the hearts of many people on the Kuskokwim River. Okay. Well, I I know Barrick, they released a declaration, and I'm going to quote it. It says, uh, from board diversity to biodiversity, climate risk to community relations, a commitment to managing sustainability effectively and responsibly has long been entrenched in our DNA. In your view, are they living up? To that declaration? Hmm. With, uh, I don't think they are. In, in my opinion, I don't think they are. They're not taking in consideration the impacts of uh, environmental uh, 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 disasters that could have an impact to the uh, settling pond as well as uh, uh, the material that could seep out into the Kuskokwim River and affect the ecosystem on there. Okay. All righty. Well, let's talk more about residents there in your community. Uh, obviously, there is this benefit of jobs and influx of revenue over the next 30 years. Uh, how do your community members feel about that in terms of the economic benefits versus these environmental risks that you are sharing today? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, speaking with some of uh, the tribal members here in the community, the, the economic aspect of it is very lucrative. But as far as I know, I haven't heard of anybody from this this community uh, being accepted for a position within Donlin. Uh, so you know that's that's my opinion right there. Okay. Now uh, there was this environmental review, a major environmental review back in 2018, um, and I know that uh, you and some of your constituents take issue with that environmental review. Tell us more. Why don't you uh, agree with those findings? Well, uh, the findings, in my opinion, uh, the uh, uh, permitting process as well as the uh, uh, possibility of uh, uh, damage to a holding settlement is like a 0.50 or something like that. But, you know, in a real-world situation where uh, a major natural disaster can occur, would have would have impacted that uh, settling pond and and the contents would definitely flow through the envi- uh, ecosystem as well as the river. Uh, looking at uh, some history on some of the uh, mining, not not within this country but outside of this country. In fact, Brazil uh, a few years ago there was a major uh, uh, dam breach that uh, uh, discharged a lot of uh, the uh, contents in a settling pond to a community, and that's the kind of environment that we're, we're, that we're trying to prevent here. All righty. Uh, let's bring in another guest now who is joining us from Bethel, Alaska, Sophie Swope. She is the director of Mother Kuskokwim Tribal Coalition. She is Yupik, and she is a member of the ONC tribe in Bethel. Sophie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, please, just based on our conversation so far, uh, what's your initial feedback from this whole issue with the mine there, proposed mine in Alaska? Yeah, so there is a whole lot of information to kind of respond to, but I would really like to note that it's important that everybody knows our region already has jobs that have a necessity to be filled. Our health corporation alone has over 300 open positions, so we really don't need more positions. We just need the education to fill these positions for that economic benefit. Um, It was talked about shortly, the Red Dog Mine, um, 
as, you know, a very beneficial piece to the Alaskan economy. But there was also a National Geographic um, not study, but letter or article that was done. (laughs) And it actually denotes the Red Dog Mine being the America's most toxic releasing facility. And that was done in 2016. They released 756 million pounds of toxic chemicals in the villages. And 50 miles away, um, people are experiencing heart diseases and kidney problems in teenagers, which is very unheard of. Um, And when it comes to, you know, the permitting process and everything, a lot of the tribes were not actively involved. And I think that it was very important to have every single tribe involved. It's a very huge community. The Delta is the core to our traditions. (laughs) And um, there's a directive by the current federal administration that indigenous traditional ecological knowledge needs to be used in decision-making processes. And we already talked or heard a little bit about concerns about earthquakes, and there's a whole lot more that goes into it, but I feel like a lot of those um, traditional knowledges were not used in this decision-making process. Um, there, it, it stems a whole lot more into, like, CMEs that, you know, encourage earthquakes and tectonic activity, and especially where a toxic slurry is in a tailings dam on an extension of the Denali Fault Line, where the Denali Fault is a very active region for tectonic activity. Um, I feel like the tribes and the indigenous people of the region should be really listened to in that aspect. Okay. Now, Sophie, some critical minerals do play a role in the fight against climate change, and they can benefit uh, those efforts. Is gold one of those elements? I don't believe gold is one of those elements. It is more of a precious metal that is used most often in um, jewelry and, you know, banking and other sorts in in that direction. I don't think they're important. Okay. And I'd like to go back to to Tisha to to respond to that question as well. Would you agree with that, Tisha, that uh, gold uh, does not play a role as a a resource against climate change, or could it be used perhaps in a way to support climate change efforts? I think, you know, with new modern mining projects, it gives us newer, better insight on how to have a minerals, natural resource project such as Donlin to take an even closer look at our environment and how to move forward with this ever-changing climate. I mean, it's a very difficult subject to model, right? You know, given that our region has very um, discontinuous permafrost, what does that mean? How do you model something like that? So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you've got to constantly observe. And when you have a project out there, you know, doing envi- environmental baseline studies, that's actually firsthand climate, um, you know, adaptation type measurements that, they, that can be collected. And that's live data, you know, um, that's something very helpful and something that we don't necessarily get to see, um, you know, from agencies that might be coming out at a later time to see how 
our earth is constantly changing. But with gold and any other projects, you know, gravel sites even, you know, the movement of earth will always increase the TRI. And that's just a natural thing. Putting in a road will also increase the TRI. So that's also something to think about there. And and I do agree with um, Ms. Swopes saying, you know, uh, traditional eco ecological knowledge needs to be taken into account. It's super important in the decision-making process, and Chalissa has been 100% the biggest advocate about including that information with all federal decision-making processes through all of the agencies trying to make us heard and how do you um, use that model into, you know, into the, those federal processes. So I do agree with Sophie there. And it's also really important um, to understand that, you know, our priority is supporting shareholders by protecting our land and our traditional way of life and promoting economic opportunities that do benefit our people. And we do support Donald Gold because of the strict environmental oversight and good paying jobs and affordable energy that could be brought by the project, which can grow healthy communities and All reduce right. the outputs of our shareholders. All righty, let's go ahead and go to the phones now where we have Mark, who is in Bethel, Alaska, listening on KYUK. Good morning, Mark. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, nice, to, nice to hear the panel you have there. I have a question for Chalista. Um, Ms. Coons, you just said that Chalista is supporting its shareholders for a healthy uh, environment. People that are opposed to Donald Gold are terrified about the potential impact on the environment, the environment they subsist from. I wonder what sort of positions or activism uh, Chalista is engaged in to help protect the salmon that we are watching being basically destroyed out in the Bering Sea. Um, I haven't heard much uh, from you know from the corporation. Maybe I've missed something, but. Uh, it it seems like you know trying to protect the salmon out in the Bering Sea uh, will be a mitigator in, to some extent uh, for the concerns people have about Donald Gold. Thanks very much, Tisha. Could you respond to Mark's question? Uh, listening on KYUK, uh, what's being done to protect these local salmon habitats that could be at risk with this proposed mine? That's an extremely good and important question, and um, you know, Chalista aims to balance um, all of our decision-making, you know, processes for our shareholders. So, yes, we've been extremely involved with the Board of Fish, with all of these different meetings that have gone on, especially the YK RAC this past week. And we continually advocate for more studies to be happening out in the Bering Sea where we are seeing very low returns. And what we're actually finding um, is that Russian hatcheries are kind of with of pink salmon are taking over the, the natural biomass that our salmon, our natural salmon stocks should be, you know, taking up instead of these hatchery fish. And we're seeing, you know, a, you know, really poor and low returns. And, you know, then we also have the aspect of, you know, area M where there's a fisheries intercept there. And so we're, you know, you try and do this balance and advocate for everybody's rights because we do know that the state of Alaska and the federal government have a huge role in all of these cooperating areas and agencies and in this decision-making process. So we continue to support and advocate for Article 8 
and also our subsistence rights that are first and foremost, especially when there's not enough for, um, you know, realizing the first needs of our Alaska Native, Native peoples. Support from the Self-Governance, Communication, and Education Tribal Consortium presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort in Tulsa, Oklahoma, June 26th to the 29th. Learn how tribes are using self-governance for the delivery of programs and services for their citizens and communities, and how this authority improves the health and well-being of tribal communities. Registration closes June 23rd at tribalselfgov.org. Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A major gold mine project offers decades of economic benefits to the people in southwest Alaska, but at what cost? We're assessing the rewards and risks of the Donlin gold mine today. Let's take another call. We've got Alyssa listening on KYUK in Bethel. Hello, Alyssa. Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Alyssa Nadine Rogers, and I'm calling from Bethel, Alaska. I sit on 56 different tribes, committees, councils, and areas around our region representing our tribes the people who want to call this place home and the land and the natural resources and the resources that we have as an advocacy on their behalf along my, with myself today i'm giving my own personal opinions in regards to against dominant gold and the disasters and the structures that we do not have here currently that earlier in the show you said that the village of crooked creek uh, there's 57 people in the village of Crooked Creek, and currently right now in our whole entire region, we have 33,359 people according to the recent uh, census that went out. That's 53 out of 33,000 people that are against, that are for Donlin Gold, and you have 33,000 people that are against Donlin Gold. Alrighty. Our region is 58 square miles, which is the largest rivers within the Yukon and Kuskokwim. That represents 56, not 48, 56 tribes that ABCP has gone against on gold. Our region does not have the infrastructure, emergency response system, manufacturing system, transportation systems, or the health care system, or even a medevac system, or the money, structure, resources, lawyers, or deep pockets to fight against the destruction and any accidents that this mine proposes from their own environmental impact. Alrighty, Alyssa, I'm sorry, we do have some other, other callers on the line as well as our guests, so really do appreciate though you calling in with all of those insights to share today on our show. Uh, let's bring in our next guest now who is joining us from Juneau, Alaska, Tom Waldo. He is the Senior Advisor for the Environmental Group Earth Justice, 
and the villages working to stop the Donlin Gold Mine Project. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Tom, what can you tell us about the lawsuit filed earlier this week? Okay, we, uh, on behalf of uh, three of the tribes in the Kuskokwim River area, we filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the U.S. Bureau of Land Management for two of the permits that they issued for the Donlin Mine. Our lawsuit alleges three fundamental flaws in the decision-making process for the mine. Let let me speak to the first one um, about tailings, because both Boris and Sophie previously referred to the risk of a catastrophic tailings dam failure. Our case, we argue that the environmental impact statement that the agencies did is flawed because it they refused, the agency refused to consider the possibility of such a catastrophic failure. The tailings, I should say, are the waste material that comes out of the gold ore uh, processing on site. It's, uh, it's a slurry of the leftover waste ore and water and chemicals. There's a vast amount of it. There's over 400, excuse me, over 500 million tons of tailings that will need to be stored. They'll be stored in a four square mile tailing storage pond that will be held in place by a, an earthen tailings dam, 471 feet high. That's huge. That's about the height of a 35 story building. And these tailings dams, they sometimes fail and they sometimes fail catastrophically. And in fact, there was a catastrophic tailings dam failure just across the border in British Columbia while the planning for the Donlin mine was going on. That the risk of such a failure and the devastating impacts that it would have on salmon, water quality, subsistence uses, and people downstream, that's a risk that should have been disclosed in the uh, environmental planning and the agencies refused to look at that. Um, and I should say there were alternatives that could have avoided this risk as well. Um, there's a process called dry stack tailings. It involves removing most of the water from the tailings, which makes it much, much safer because if you have dry tailings, they're much less mobile and less, much less likely to move anywhere in okay. the event of okay. an accident. Um, but Tom, I'm sorry, but in the interest of time, I, I I just want to get your reaction here. I mean, how how much success do you think that uh, some of these folks that are fighting so hard against this mine are going to have? I mean, this is a huge, huge, multi-billion dollar, multi-decade project uh, with enormous economic support. How likely is it that this can be stopped? Well, I don't want to handicap our odds in the litigation. Um, <laughs> uh, it's always a risky thing to try to forecast, but I certainly believe that the claims that we're bringing are sound and that we ought to prevail. And uh, some of them uh, would be easy to fix or relatively easy to fix for them if they went through the correct process. Others would be much harder. And mm -hmm. so I don't know in the end whether they can uh, design a mine that would comply with the laws and satisfy the people of the region. 
Okay. Let's go back to the phones. We have Andrea listening on KNBA in Anchorage, Alaska. Good morning, Andrea. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. My name is Andrea Gusty, and I'm president and CEO of the Cuscoquim Corporation. We are the surface owners um, of about a million acres in the middle Cuscoquim, including the land where the uh, potential Donlin mine lies. And, um, you know, I appreciate everybody's uh, comments here, concerns. I just want to uh, say from TKC's point of view, you know, our priorities are and have always been supporting our shareholders and protecting our land. And um, we uh, support the development of our resources when it can be done in a responsible way. Our contractual rights as the surface owner uh, with the potential Donlin Gold uh, developers have ensured that our voices, our native voices, the voices of our shareholders and the people of the middle Cuscoquim have been incorporated from the very beginning. They've mm -hmm. been integrated into the permits. Um, and I just want to raise a couple of uh, project adaptations. You know, we really, from the beginning of discussions decades ago about this potential mine, we emphasize the need of making sure that each part of the mine was communicated fully to um, our, our people. And the mine listened to their, some of their concerns. So some direct adaptations as a result from those conversations in our communities. Okay. The Andrea, pipeline. I'm sorry I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we are kind of pressed for time. I just want to ask you, um, what does Cuscoquim potentially uh, gain from this project, the proposed Donlin mine? Can you share that with us on the air? What we gain as a corporation? Mm -hmm. We, um, you know, we gain... Uh, jobs for our region. We gain infrastructure for our region as the surface owner. Any infrastructure at the mine site, we have first right of refusal for. So as we're talking about that natural gas pipeline and the um, uh, the power plant that would be used for the mine, we have the right to keep that around long after the mine to power uh, things in the middle of Cuscoquim. We have a port site upriver that can be used um, long after the mine life. And then we've also negotiated um, uh, a guaranteed jobs for our shareholders, okay. uh, long-term contracts, et cetera. But I think right. the most important thing okay. in our I'm sorry. I'm been... sorry, Andrea, but we are limited for time, and we do have other callers as well. And I'd like to go back now to uh, one of our guests on the show, John Andrew. Again, he is an elder and a council member for the village of Quithlick. And John, I'd like to ask you, what are your biggest concerns right now about this proposed Donlin mine that could impact your community? Oh, thank you, Guyana. Uh, um... I'm familiar with a lot of their pros and cons of uh, the mining industry and the subsistence issue right now. And uh, people that are sitting on uh, corporation boards and uh, they, they are pro-mining. And people that are for the tribes are pro-subsistence. So what I am, along with the, most of the elders in the, re in the region, uh, using a couple of uh, nearby uh, uh, old uh, pleasure mines like the Nyack and the Platinum, they weren't good for the region. They were only good for their business only. Um, just a handful of people got uh, uh, financial benefits uh, 
it'll be the same story with the Donald Gold mining. Very small percentage of people will actually gain financially along with the corporations, but not the tribes, as far as I can see. And most of us are going to see. But the damages are, there is a potential for chemical spills at the site and the bar traffic barges uh, along with the along with the uh, proposed uh, uh, gas line from uh, Cook Inland. There'll be a pretty long gas line, probably over 300 miles. If a natural disaster occurs like the uh, major earthquake using the earthquake back in March 27, 1964, 9.2 on the Richter scale, they'll create a lot of damages that you could destroy those uh, tailing, tailing dams to uh, creating spills to the river. And, uh, and on the Cusco Conference, spring to summer, first part of the spring, all those salmon fingerlings are spawned. Baby, baby salmon salmon come out from the headwaters and uh, go down river and on the freshwater site, the smelts that uh, spawn up there along the, on the Cuscoquim further up mm-hmm. will be damaged to by the chemical spills or the barge, tra- barge traffic. Not just the smelts only. From spring, the whole from spring to fall, uh, freshwater species always start micro- out migrating from the lakes and the tributaries like the pike, sheafish, uh, grayling, and at least seven species of uh, whitefish, rockhead whitefish come back, bearing chisco and uh, burbot, and those tiny little uh, needle fish along with blackfish that migrate from when the water gets cold, they start migrating without They're okay. easily okay. affected by barge, but the barge traffic and motor and jet traffic and uh john thank uh, you for giving us such a a vivid description uh, of some of these environmental impacts uh really appreciate all of your knowledge and all of your insights uh so familiar with uh these subsistence lifestyle uh issues that could be dramatically impacted thank you so much for, for chiming in uh we do have time for one more phone call we've got gloria who is listening in anchorage alaska Gloria, hello. What's your main pro- concern with this project? Good morning, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. My main concern is that the risks outweigh the benefits that 37 nations of 56 have opposed this, and the environmental degradation throughout the state of Alaska due to mining is is uh, something it's unspeakable the state of alaska does not have the infrastructure to provide oversight and monitoring of even what they have on the plate right now the impact to our river three to four barges every day for the entire season which is 90 days plus would the wake of these barges would prohibit people from traveling safely on the river threatening our ability to subsist our food, the salmon, which is already at risk from at so many different levels. 
Gloria, thank you for, for chiming in there. Appreciate your call and the concerns that you voice as well. I do want to go back to Tom Leonard there with Chalista Alaska Native Corporation. And uh, Tom, we're, we're, gonna, we're hearing some interesting insights here from guests and callers. Uh, we had John Andrew who mentions this, this main uh, issue with pro-mining interests versus subsistence issues. And, and we hear from, from Gloria saying, the risks outweigh the benefits. We also had one listener that called in and was just concerned about mercury and how uh, you can't uh, safeguard against the, the risk of mercury whenever you do any type of mining project like gold. So, Tom, uh, what, what do we need to go going forward here uh, with regard to the future of this uh, proposed mine there, the, the Donlin mine, and all of these environmental risks and other concerns that are being voiced today? No, great questions. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, Trista and then, you know, myself and, and the people here, we, uh, a lot of us grew up uh, on the river. We subsistence ourselves. I'm teaching my boys how to fish and the importance of fishing and gathering berries. That is the first priority that we have. So we're not going to move forward either as individuals or a corporation if we don't feel that this is safe. Uh, we've had uh, over about 200 meetings uh, in the community since 2004. Donlin has had about 300. So we're always open to go in and talk. And something that Andrea tried to mention earlier is we've made improvements because we are listening and gathering that uh, indigenous knowledge that we all share. Uh, so this is very much a collaborative effort, and we will continue to talk and listen, but we will not move forward if we do not feel it is safe. Okay. And Tisha Coons, we are going to have to wrap it up in about a minute, but could you comment with regard to the the dangers of high levels of mercury in air and water that this mine could produce? Oh, sure. So just to give you some context, our region is, called, you know, geologically speaking, the Mercury Belt of Alaska. So it's already present in, in, in the environment. Now, Donlin has a four-pronged approach for managing mercury releases into the environment, um, use of best available control technology, compliance with permit conditions, and constant monitor monitoring and oversight. You know, the Environmental Alaska Regulations or discharges of mercury are thoroughly regulated by the Alaska Department of Envir Con Environmental Conservation, Solid Waste and Air, and then also, you know, as mentioned, monitoring and communication. So there is a number of things that are in place to ensure that there is no additional mercury release aside All from right. the baseline studies right. that are already there. Fisher, I'm sorry, we are out of time, so we're going to have to wrap up our discussion about the Donlin Gold Mine Project, but I want to thank all of our guests today for sharing their time and expertise. We're back again tomorrow talking about a new study that puts horses in North America long before any previous theories. We hope you join us then. Thank you for listening. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Program support by Amerind. 
For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.